Section 9 of Stupor Mundi, The Life and Times of Frederick II by Lionel Alshorn. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 5, The First Excommunication, Part 1. The choice of the conclave in its election of a successor to Honorius fell upon the Cardinal Ugolino, who adopted the name of Gregory Ninth. The new pope was a man of considerable attainments. He was profoundly learned in holy writ, a master of the canon law, a most eloquent speaker, and well-versed in the arts of statecraft. He had been employed by his uncle Innocent III, and by Honorius in many missions of great moment, and had thus acquired a considerable knowledge of worldly affairs. In his less elevated position he had earned the admiration of the emperor. He is a man of spotless reputation, Frederick had once declared, renowned for piety, erudition, and eloquence. He shines among the rest like a brilliant star. All these graces had helped him to climb to the loftiest summit of an ecclesiastic's ambition. Once he had attained to the throne of St. Peter, however, his character quickly developed aspects that had hitherto lain hidden. An intemperate violence, an ambitious desire for the aggrandizement of his office at the expense of the temporal power, a lack of scruple which did not shrink from deliberate mendacity, a ferocious intolerance of all forms of unorthodox belief, all these combined to make him a sinister and repellent figure. He was eighty when he succeeded Honorius, and as the years went by the approach of extreme old age, instead of softening a heart which had been frozen by a long life of rigorous asceticism, did but accentuate the more forbidding traits of his nature, and added thereto the querulous and petulant temper of senility. Into the conflict between the empire and the papacy he carried an element of fierce personal hatred, a hatred that was aggravated and inflamed by his jealousy of the high renown, the popularity, the magnificent qualities, and the lofty independence of his opponent. In his conception of the superiority of the spiritual power, he reverted to the ideas of Hildebrand. All the monarchs of Christendom, the emperor himself, should bow the knee to him in temporal submission. And thus the struggle resolved itself into a fight for preeminence on the one hand, and for independence and equality on the other. In the conflict which burst forth soon after his accession, and which after an interval of superficial peace raged unceasingly until the emperor's death and beyond, Frederick was fighting for the liberties and rights of the monarchs of Europe against the menace of priestly tyranny. The first letter from the new pope to the emperor was couched in friendly terms, but ended in a veiled threat. We are willing to grant you all the indulgence we can, wrote Gregory, referring to the long-delayed crusade, but take heed that you do not place yourself in a situation whence we may not be able to extricate you with the best of will. Frederick, however, was exerting himself to the utmost to fulfill the compact of San Germano, and Gregory could find no cause for complaint in this direction. 
he then turned his attention to the private life of the emperor which was certainly open to reproof from one whose life had been spent in constant repression of fleshly lusts god has bestowed upon you the gift of knowledge and of perfect imagination runs the rebuke and all christendom follows you take heed that you do not place your intellect which you have in common with the angels below your senses which you have in common with brutes and plants your intellect is weakened if you are the slave of your senses if those two lights knowledge and love be quenched if those conquering eagles be brought low and turned to earthly lusts you will not be able to point the way of salvation to your followers far be this from you dearest son follow after justice and mercy even as israel followed the fiery pillar and the cloudy pillar the emperor seems to have received this reproach with perfect humility he had no time for wrangles with the pope for august was fast approaching and in august he must sail for the east it was evident that the means for the crusade must be supplied almost entirely by himself england and france were apathetic nor did germany answer very readily to the call the powerful duke of austria hung back at the last moment and the landgrave of thuringia had to be paid a large sum before he would consent to march finally however the german host arrived in apulia and assembled at brindisi where a fleet was waiting to carry them to acre the time was ill chosen the Italian summer was at its height, and the power of the sun was so great that, according to one chronicler, it melted solid metal. Numbers of the Germans, among them the Landgrave of Thuringia and the bishops of Augsburg and Angers, succumbed to the climate. Frederick himself was in a precarious state of health and rode to join his army at Brindisi against the emphatic advice of his physicians he embarked with his sickly host on the appointed day in august before he had been three days at sea however the threatened illness seized him with such severity that it became evident that to pursue the voyage was to invite almost certain death the nobles of the empire and of the east who surrounded him urged him to postpone the expedition reluctantly he followed their counsel and returned to otranto he dispatched an embassy to Gregory to explain matters, and betook himself to the baths of Pozzuoli near Naples to recover his strength. The crusade was a miserable fiasco. Forty thousand men had assembled at Acre, but nearly all returned when they heard the emperor would not arrive to lead them. Only eight hundred knights remained under the Duke of Limberg, Frederick's lieutenant. The news that would have reduced Honorius to tears of bitter grief aroused fiercer emotions in Gregory's breast. He turned a deaf ear to Frederick's ambassadors and refused to believe even his own messengers, who assured him of the reality of the emperor's illness. He gathered his cardinals and bishops around him in the cathedral and delivered a resounding discourse on the text, It must needs be that offenses come but woe unto him through whom the offence cometh. He then hurled forth the sentence of excommunication. The bells clanged out in discord, the clergy dashed down their torches, while amid the ominous gloom 
the vicar of christ called down the eternal curse of god upon the head of frederick the emperor there followed another address to the assembled clergy the church of christ spoke gregory while she thinks that she is nursing up her children is fostering in her bosom fire and serpents and basilisks which would destroy everything by their fire their breath and their burning to combat these monsters to triumph over hostile armies to appease these restless tempests the holy apostolic see reckoned in these latter times on a nursling whom she had brought up with the tenderest care the church had taken the emperor frederick as it were from his mother's womb fed him at her breast borne him on her shoulders she had often rescued him from those who sought his life instructed him educated him with care and pain to manhood invested him with the royal dignity and to all these blessings bestowed upon him the title of emperor hoping to find in him a protecting support a staff for her old age no sooner was he king in germany than of his own accord unexhorted unknown to the apostolic see he took the cross and made a vow to depart for the holy land he even demanded that himself and all other crusaders should be excommunicated if they did not set forth at the appointed time at his coronation as emperor we ourselves then holding an inferior office under the most holy honorius gave him the cross and received the renewal of his vows three times at veroli at ferentino and at san germano he alleged delays the church in her indulgence accepted his excuses at san germano he made a covenant which he swore by his soul to accomplish if not he incurred by his own consent the most awful excommunication how has he fulfilled his covenant when many thousands of pilgrims depending on his solemn promises were assembled in the port of brindisi he detained the army so long under the burning summer heats that a great part of the pilgrims perished at length when the ships began to return from the holy land the pilgrims embarked on board of them on the nativity of the blessed virgin expecting the emperor to join their fleet but he breaking all promises bursting every bond trampling underfoot the fear of god despising all reverence for christ jesus scorning the censures of the church deserting the christian army abandoning the holy land to the unbelievers to his own disgrace and that of all christendom withdrew to the luxurious and wonted delights of his kingdom seeking to palliate his offence by frivolous excuses of bodily sickness rome mourns for palestine which we were hoping might be rescued from the moslem and which we should have gained in exchange for damietta had not the emperor's letter forbidden it our army would not have been captured if he had sent ships to the rescue as he had promised that we may not be esteemed as dumb dogs we dare not bark or fear to take vengeance upon him the emperor frederick who has caused such ruin to the people of god we proclaim the said emperor excommunicate we command you to publish this our excommunication throughout the realm and to declare that in case of his contumacy we shall proceed to still more awful censures we trust however that he shall see his own shame and return to the mercy of his mother the church 
having given ample satisfaction for all his guilt. End of section 9